In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, I heard a funny story about a priest many years ago in Sheffield who'd been summoned to the bishop's house. Um, You may not uh, know him. He was uh, once uh, world famous, Father Parkinson. Uh, And he was uh, walking up the long driveway uh, up to Bishop's Croft uh, when he saw the back of a man on his hands and knees tending to one of the flower beds that bordered the driveway. Uh, And he said to him, is the old bugger in? Uh, At this, the man got up and turned round, and lo and behold, it was the bishop himself. Um, All of us, I suppose, can find ourselves in situations where we fail to perceive who or what is right there in front of us. Uh, And it was no different for the disciples in this story of one of Jesus' first resurrection appearances after his crucifixion. These two disciples in the story, uh, one called Cleopas, the other unnamed, are down and dejected, having witnessed the man they'd been following for so long being arrested and put to death, dashing their hopes of who he was to be. All seemed lost to them, and uh, we find them on the road leading away from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. And at some point along the way, Jesus joins them on their journey, but we're told their eyes were kept from recognising him. Not just that they didn't recognise him, they were prevented from recognising him. Uh, Luke says this at other points in his Gospel as well. Uh, Twice when Jesus predicts his death, we're told the disciples did not understand because it was concealed from them. So there seems to be a pattern that the true significance of Jesus' death should be hidden from the disciples until such a time as God chooses to reveal it to them. And the story of this journey to Emmaus is in fact just that time when God opens these disciples' eyes to have a living, personal encounter with the risen Christ and a recognition of his victory over death. Now, to set the scene, notice how in the opening conversation between the disciples and this mysterious figure uh, whom they do not yet recognise as Jesus, we see how shaken Cleopas' faith is after witnessing uh, Christ's death. He describes Jesus not as the Messiah or the Son of God or the Son of David or King of Israel, no, but merely as Jesus of Nazareth a prophet mighty in deed and word. A man, like many prophets before him, who had spoken wise words but met an unfortunate end. It's actually the view many people in our own day have of Jesus who haven't properly engaged with the evidence of the resurrection. Cleopas says, our hope had been that he would be the one to set Israel free. Had been, implying He no longer believed he was. So there's a great crisis of faith going on here among these disciples. And even the report of the empty tomb from the women among their group didn't do anything to resuscitate their faith, uh, despite them uh, saying they saw a vision of angels who said Jesus was alive, and despite then, then going to the tomb and finding everything exactly as the women had reported. Apart from that is... Jesus himself. They simply couldn't believe it. 
and they were leaving Jerusalem. They'd given up. Yet, this is the point at which Jesus begins to reveal himself. You foolish men, he says, so slow to believe the full message of the prophets. Was it not ordained that the Christ should suffer and so enter into his glory? Then starting with Moses and going through all the prophets, he explained to them the passages throughout the scriptures that were about himself. Well, let's take stock for a moment. What's going on? Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's already told the disciples this would happen, but they're prevented from understanding and don't recognize him on the road. Yet Jesus still admonishes them as foolish men. Why? It's not their fault if they've been prevented from recognizing him, surely. But that isn't Jesus' point. The point is, as Jesus says, they are slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. They don't believe the Old Testament scriptures which point to these very things having to take place. Was it not ordained that the Christ should suffer? It's all there in the Old Testament. Why don't you believe? And we had an example of that in our first reading uh, when Peter quoted Psalm 16 from the Old Testament to the crowds to show them how the death and resurrection of the Messiah was foretold. My body will rest in the hope that you will not abandon my soul to the realm of the dead, nor allow your Holy One to rot in the grave, pointing, of course, to Jesus. The prophet Isaiah, too, tells of the Lord's servant, who would die for the sins of many, and that after he has suffered, will see the light of life. The point is that the suffering and death of the Messiah for the forgiveness of sins and his resurrection from the dead is all there in the scriptures, but they did not believe. Fools. And so that's why Jesus then proceeds to embark on a long and detailed Bible study with these two men, explaining to them and showing them how the scriptures show us the person they believed to be dead had to die and the promise that he would rise again. The message, this should not shake your faith, but this is part of God's salvation plan. That's why um, in uh, my own parish, when uh, we meet in our Bible study groups, we're constantly referring back to the Old Testament again and again in order to understand the events of the new. Without doing that, we're uh, a building with no foundations. Well, Jesus' Bible study must have been better than mine because the disciples plead with him to stay with them, and he does. And now, as they stop walking and settle down for the night, we enter into the second act of this great encounter. They've opened the scriptures with Jesus. They've been taught and encouraged and reassured that the things they've witnessed in recent days are not evidence of failure, but the outworking of what has been foretold. Yet they still don't recognize the man in front of them as Jesus Christ. Their eyes are still closed. But what happens next changes all that. We've had the intellectual understanding as the scriptures have been explained, and now we see the personal encounter with Christ experienced in the breaking of bread the first Holy Communion after the resurrection, which reveals the risen Lord to the disciples in full view. 
when he was with them at table. He took the bread and said the blessing. Then he broke it and handed it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognised him. Notice how in this account we see two hugely important aspects of of Christian worship happening here and how our own worship today reflects that same pattern. The reading of the scriptures and the explanation of their meaning followed by the breaking of bread as we encounter the risen Lord in his body and blood at the mass, trusting those words he spoke at the Last Supper, take, eat, this is my body. And it is truly a personal encounter at each and every Mass we come to because it is truly Christ's body and blood given to us under sacramental signs of bread and wine but which we receive with the words of his promise. We take him into our hearts and minds through his word and into our very bodies by receiving him in the blessed sacrament. And in doing that, he totally envelops us with his presence He pierces every part of us and grafts us to himself. And it's at that moment he's recognised by the disciples. They who were prevented from understanding now understand as their hearts burned within them as the scriptures were explained to them. They who were prevented from recognising Jesus now recognise him as he gives them the bread of life which is his body, sacrificed on the cross for their sins risen from the dead, that they may share his risen life. May we then, as we come to Mass, both understand his love, his sacrifice, and his resurrection as we hear the scriptures, and may we know him personally as our saviour and friend as we receive his body and blood shed for us on the cross and which now sustains us for the life to come. Amen.